And so we are in uh, the epistle of 1 John, and we are now coming to the very first major section of 1 John. And uh, that would go from 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, all the way to 1 John chapter 2, 28. Okay? And uh, what we're looking at, and what we're going to look at in some detail, is God is light. And we're going to look into, into this in some detail. I think it's very, very important, especially in our day and age, that we comprehend some things about the very God that we are promised that we can have fellowship with. So in, so in 1 John 1, 5, we read, This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. So we already have learned and looked at that the first four verses of 1 John is confirming that John is an eyewitness of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that everything that John is sharing with these folks they can believe in, they can be assured about, that they can have confidence in regards to their faith. And that, uh, so he is uh, moving on from that uh, establishment of being an eyewitness. That's okay. Diane, do you have any more? Okay. Establishing to be uh, as an eyewitness of these things, and he's telling them that you can have fellowship with him just as I had fellowship with him. First John 1, 3 through 4. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. So this fellowship is with God the Father that is light and with Jesus Christ who also is light. In fact, he is the true light that has come into the world. John 1, nine. that was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world, is what John says in his gospel. The eternal life, the light of God, the true light which lighteth every man in the world, has come in the flesh. Light personified is what Jesus Christ is. And it is this light personified that we are able to have fellowship with God who is light. That's extremely important. Because if you do not have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you will not be able to have fellowship with God who is light. That is extremely important. And, but you will have people tell you differently. They will tell, they will, you will have people tell you that it's not necessarily, you don't need to know Jesus as a Savior in order to have fellowship with God. And there's many, many religions that would teach that very thing. So the message that John had received from God and heard from the Son is what he is now declaring unto us. John's Gospel, John chapter 8, verse 12 said, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. There's another clue. If you want to walk in the light as God is in the light, then who do you need to follow? You need to follow Jesus Christ, who also is the light. So you need to know Christ as your Savior, and you need to follow Jesus as a disciple, as your, as uh, Him being your Lord, if you desire to have fellowship with God who is light. So on your study guide, the very first blank is the very first thing John begins with in regards to our fellowship with God is the very character of God. The very character of God. Also on your study guide, the character, the character of God is the foundation to all truth. 
The character of God is the foundation to all truth. From 1 John chapter 1 verse 5 till 1 John 2.11, the Apostle John lays down the grounds upon which we as the sons of God and the children of light, you and I, may know and experience fellowship with God the Father and God the Son. And indeed, this ground that our fellowship is established on is holy ground. It is holy ground. In these initial 17 verses of 1 John, uh, established upon the eyewitness account of John and others, we read about three essential truths about God that are related to our fellowship with God. And it is these three truths, if you pay attention, it is these three truths that the Gnostics reject or pervert. And that is God is light, God is righteousness, and God is love. If you pay attention to what's going on, those are the very three characteristics of God that are, that are being perverted by the Gnostics. But yet it is these three characteristics of God and that He's light, righteousness, and love. That, that's what gives us our assurance. That's what gives us our confidence, especially that assurance and confidence that we're going to need in these days. In these days when darkness seems to be encroaching upon the church and upon our society. It is upon these truths concerning the character of God that John builds upon throughout this epistle. That God is light, God is righteous, and God is love. And you'll see these themes repeated throughout this epistle. And these things are important for us to understand in order for us to know Him. That's very important. I can't stress this enough. Because the Gnostics and the modern revisionists, and due to their false teaching, they pose a threat to our fellowship. It's imperative that we as born-again believers have an understanding about this, about God. These are fundamental to our relationship and our fellowship. If you get off on any of these three, then you're going to get off entirely. So these things are extremely important. So on your study guide, since it is, as one man put it, the revisionist knowledge about our faith, revisionist knowledge, that's your blank, about our faith being taught by the many antichrists that proves to be such a threat to this fellowship, that's why in, in John's gospel, the blank is no, the word no Gnosko is a key word in John's epistle. So, revisionist knowledge and know, that's your two words for the blank. The knowledge that is being presented is being presented as a substitute to the true knowledge of knowing God. And even one of their own refers to it as an immoral, immoral Gnosticism. And a moral Gnosticism. I thought that was very interesting the way he phrased that. Because what is a moral? Uh, it's the teach, this, this teaching of the immoral Gnostics is this. There's an absence or indifference or disregard for morality or sound doctrine. So the guy pegged it. Because that's exactly what we got going on. 
not only in society but in church. There is an absolute disregard or indifference or absence of morality in the church as well as sound doctrine. So the guy hit it right on the head. Now I apologize for continually beating on this dead horse. But in the church, this is especially so in our worship music. Turn on the Christian radio and listen to the worship music. It really doesn't matter if the source of this music is from someone or some group who is essentially heretical in their beliefs. As long as it makes me feel good, then I'm going to listen to it. As long as it's got a good beat to it, I'm going to listen to it. You know, so what if the lyrics aren't exactly biblical? We become very accepting, accepting of such things. And it's also true in a lot of our teaching that's going on out there. Now, I learned something recently uh, in our um, prayer meeting that we had last Sunday. And uh, I love Sunday evening prayer service. I just do. It's such a relaxed time, and it's just a good time for me personally. But I learned something interesting. During a Sunday evening prayer service, Pastor Brian had finished the study on First Timothy. And the last, I believe the last couple of verses of First Timothy is First Timothy chapter 6, 20-21. We're going to camp out there for a little bit. So go ahead and turn to First Timothy chapter 6. 20 and 21. Now, in our KJV authorized version, and I make that distinction on purpose, in the KJV authorized version, these these verses read this way. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. Avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with you. Amen. I don't know how many times I've read over that verse. You know? But uh, something was said last Sunday that just popped with me. We live in such a time today in which professors of the faith have erred concerning the faith. We live in a time where the church is proving unfaithful and keeping that which has been committed to her, into her trust. And I think it was Ron that brought this up about the Revised Standard Version and the English Standard Version, which is so popular today. And this is the way the English Standard Version says. It says, 1 Timothy 6.20, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. Now, I thought that was very interesting. For the modern revisionists, it is the new Gnostic. It is the new knowledge that is so important that they preach. They, they claim that this new knowledge is essential for our understanding and fellowship with the Father and His Son. And not the word preserved for the saints. It's this new knowledge. It's this new knowledge. And what they do is they cast down upon God's Word 
They are undermining the faith of God's people and bringing them under subjection to their scholarship and knowledge. It's very subtle. Not many people are catching on to this. The issue truly is one of authority with the modern Gnostic. Whether Catholic or Evangelical, whether secular or religious, there is a system of Nicolaitanism established not only in the churches, but also in our society. I mean, the events that the world has recently experienced, I believe, is simply priming the pump for that man, that wicked man, that's soon to appear upon the scene. And yet there are so many people that have their heads buried in the sand. Now some of the information I'm going to share with you about this particular passage in 1 Timothy, you know, these are from men who have studied this out. Um, These are men who have taken the pains to study this out, to defend the faith. These men have taken the brunt of criticism. They've taken the censure from the modern Gnostics. These men have been courageous enough and, and, and brave enough to stand up in the face of critical scholarship to hold fast to sound words. And so I appreciate these men. Now let me read you some other examples uh, from other versions that are very popular. 1 Timothy 6.20 in the NIV says, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge. The Catholic Bible says, O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. Avoid profane babbling and the absurdities of so-called knowledge. Uh, The Jehovah's Witness O Timothy, guard what is laid up and trust with you, turning away from the empty speeches that violate what is holy from the contradictions of the falsely called knowledge. Um, The Passion Translation, he says, O my son Timothy, don't forget all that has been deposited within you. Escape from the empty echoes of men and the perversion of twisted reasoning. And then one more contemporary English version Timothy, guard what God has placed in your care. Don't pay any attention to that godless and stupid talk that sounds clever but really isn't. Now what's atypical of these types in that what they accuse Bible believers who hold to the form sound of words in twisting and perverting scripture, they themselves are guilty of. The very thing that they're writing in their own translations, warning the people of, they're guilty of. They're guilty of. So by their own words, what is it? By thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. That's where these people stand. Now I looked at over a hundred Bibles to see who translated this. Yes, I did. I looked at a hundred Bibles. And only 15% out of that hundred translated this as science falsely so-called. 15%. And also, just because it's got KJV attached to it doesn't necessarily mean that they translate it as science falsely so-called. And the New King James Version doesn't translate it like that. This cracks me up. The KJV Literal Translation Bible doesn't do it that way. 
Now Strong's does inform us that the word is gnosis, which has been translated 28 times as knowledge in the KJV authorized version. And I say authorized version because I want to make a distinction between the other KJVs. Okay, that's why I say that. And this word gnosis comes from another word called nosco. We just talked about that. And if you look up the word nosco, it's synonymous in the Bible with words as known, perceive, understand. All of these words denote obtaining knowledge through observation, study, perception, experimentation. Huh. Isn't that what science is supposed to do? Exactly. Exactly. Not meaning to be crass, but we're in our, we are in a room of adults. The Jews used this particular Greek word gnosis back in the day, when Greek was the language, as an idiom for sexual intercourse between a man and a woman. So you can see that this word is one that refers to not just mere mental knowledge, but it refers to being intimately you know, um, interested and acquainted with your particular topic of interest. Okay? Now, there's good science and there's bad science. You know, good science, true science, seeks out things and how they work and why they work. And praise God for true science. A lot of our medical procedures are the, res- are the fruit of true science. A lot of the technology that we enjoy is, is the product of, of true science. But then, there's a bad science. And I think that's what we are being subjected to today. Now Solomon was a man of science in 1 Kings 4.33 And he spake of trees from the cedar tree that is in Lebanon even unto the hyssop that springeth out of the wall he spake also of beasts and of fowl and of creeping things and of fishes. You see he prayed that God would give him wisdom and so he exercised this wisdom and like a good scientist he observed, he looked at and then he spoke on these things. There's a good science. And there's one other time that this English word science shows up in your Bible. There's only two times the word science shows up here in 1 Timothy and again in Daniel chapter 1 and verse 4. It says, Children in whom was no blemish, but well favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding science. And such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the learning in the tongue of the Chaldeans. So the Jewish captives in Nebuchadnezzar's court ah, had to be the cream of the crop. He didn't want any idiots or buffoons in his court. And they were to have minds with the capacity to reason through problems, to arrive at solutions. Isn't that what science is supposed to do? To explore options, analyze variables, consider the data available to arrive at logical conclusions. As one of the sources I... um, referred to, made the observation about those who think that the KJV authorized version translators got it wrong. 
in translating Gnosis as knowledge but not science, these very same scholars don't believe that the Bible in any language contains God's Word. Do you realize that? They don't believe that God can preserve His Word for generations to generations. In fact, the very particular, in fact, the very version that they use to tout and even sell, they don't even believe it contains God's Word. It's just God's thoughts. It's His intentions. What's the fancy word they use? Equivalency? Dynamic. Dynamic equivalency. Thank you, Ron. I couldn't think of the first part of that. But never, never is it His Word. Never. Once again, these scholars are slandering the character of God, and in a veiled way, what they are saying is this. Yea, hath God said. Yea, hath God said. You see, the common person in the pew... You know, they say, well, these guys are scholars. Surely they would know. Surely they would know. Another source that I looked up, and I've got a whole shelf or two full of these things, these books. He says, even those who work on the modern Bible translations frequently translate the the same Hebrew or Greek word in a wide variety of ways, often using words that have different meanings in the English than they do in the Greek and the Hebrew. Huh. We just read, I just read you some examples of that very thing. So my question is, if it's okay for the modern revisionists to do this very thing, then why is it wrong for the King James Bible translators to do it? So to me, that's a mute point. That's a mute point. And another source that I read, and, and I believe this, God had his hand on the KJV authorized verse and translators. Because God promised to preserve his word from generation to generation. And if you've read any history on this topic, you can't help but come away and say God had his hand on that project. He had his hand on that project. You got that right. You got that right. So boys and girls, I'm telling you this. We've got it. We have it. And don't let anybody tell you any differently. Because they will do so. And they've got really clever arguments. It's an amazing story behind the way God has preserved his word. You know, we, we teach manuscript evidence in our institute. We teach manuscript evidence in D2. We teach manuscript evidence on Wednesday night. So therefore, you are without excuse. You are without excuse. First Timothy 3.15 says... 
But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. How can the church be a pillar and ground of the church, of the truth, if the church doesn't have the truth in the first place? How can we, how can we be that? If we don't have the truth in the first place. If what we have, we have to question, is it really God's word or not? In the context of 1 Timothy chapter 6 is found in 1 Timothy 4.1. He says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Beloved, we are now in those days. So I believe that God had rightly directed these men to translate this word gnosis as opposition of science falsely so-called because, well, quite frankly, Timothy is talking about the last days, what we need to face as a church in the last days, and guess what we are facing today? This very issue. This very issue. Evolution, biodiversity, ecology, global politics, and even the science of textual criticism have presented the church with incredible challenges. And today in this country of ours, there is a very strong movement that is politically motivated to deny biological science in regard to gender. It is no longer the science of DNA and chromosomes, but now it's about who you identify or how you identify yourself with a particular gender. That's, that's what trumps science, is, is, is how you view yourself. The mentality of our culture is reflected by what President Biden once said. He said, we choose truth over facts. <laughs> But the problem is, whose truth are you choosing over those facts? Let me read to you about, from one of the specialists, one of the experts, one of the folks that uh, is bringing about this amoral Gnosticism. This person writes, gender is a term that relates to how we feel about ourselves. The way we choose to express our gender through makeup, dresses, high heels, athletic shorts, sneakers. Also, our society has convinced us that there are just two options for gender identity, male and female, based on biological sex. But in reality, there's more fluidity. You see what that person just did? Yeah, he has. It is not just the male-female gender binary. There is a spectrum of gender identity. Most people lie in between the binary. I don't. With personality traits that relate to gender identity, expression, and biological sex. Gender identity can change over time. And it is not fixed. Just because you identify one way at one point in time does not mean you will always choose that identity or that your identity won't shift and evolve. Key word there. Gender identity is how you feel about yourself and the way, in the ways you express your gender and biological sex. The answer to whose truth is how you feel about yourself. 
That's the truth that they like. You are now the standard of truth in spite of facts. Gender science is just is another perverse form of the false science that uh, false science uh, science falsely so called that the church is faced with today. In spite of what biological science clearly reveals in the in DNA and genetics, God created man as what? L B Q G P R? No. Yeah. Male and female. Just because one chooses to confuse the gender pronouns to fit their preference does not change biological science. Even with all the operations, even with all the hormone therapies, you ought to read some of these poor folks' testimonies who went through all of that. It's a crime. It's horrific. I mentioned evolution. Another science that has presented challenges to the church. Let me read to you some some experts on this. Franklin Harold is a professor of microbiology at the University of Washington. He's a renowned expert in this field. He says this, Life arose here on earth from inanimate matter by some kind of evolutionary process about four billion years ago. He said, This is not a statement of demonstrable fact but an assumption almost universally shared by specialists as well as scientists in general. It is not supported by any direct evidence, nor is it likely to be, but it is consistent with what evidence we do have. Okay. What does the contemporary English version say? Don't pay any attention to that godless and stupid talk that sounds clever but really isn't. There's a good example of it right there. That's double speak right there, folks. Klaus Dos, who is also um, an expert in this field, director of biochemistry and so forth, he says more than 30 years of experimentation on the origin of life in the fields of chemical and molecular evolution have led to a better perception of the immensity of the problem of the origin of life on earth rather than to its solution. At present, all discussions on principal theories and experiments in the field either end in stalemate or in a confession of ignorance. So with those two statements, you know, these first, these, these specialists tell us that the theory of evolution is based upon circumstantial evidence, but yet at the same time is telling us that the evidence doesn't add up. You can't, you can't, uh, judge, what's the word, convict somebody in a court of law if the circumstantial evidence doesn't add up. And then this guy, at least this guy's honest. George Wald, who is a Nobel Prize, uh, winner in physiology and medicine says this. When it comes to the origin of life, there are only two possibilities. Creation or spontaneous generation. There is no third way. Spontaneous generation was disproved 100 years ago, and he's correct because Louis Pasteur won a reward award for disproving spontaneous generation by an experiment that he did in 1858. Okay, but this guy goes on and he says, "There is no third way. Spontaneous generation was disproved 100 years ago." But that leads us to only one other conclusion, that of supernatural creation. 
This is what he says. We cannot accept that on philosophical grounds. Therefore, we choose to believe the impossible, that life arose spontaneously by chance, even though that was proven wrong by their own scientist experiment. That's that all-moral Gnosticism. We believe the truth over facts. Now, I don't have anything against these men. Uh, These men are renowned, they're respected in their fields, and honestly, if I was in a classroom setting, they'd probably run circles around me. But someone does have something to say on this. And he is an expert. So I'll quote him. Romans chapter 1, verse 20, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godheads, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Did we not just read evidence of that? These learned men choose to believe the impossible for the truth reveals to them that they refuse to accept. That there is a God. And if there is a God, then that God is going to what? Judge them. It's interesting that all the Bible versions translate oppositions of knowledge instead of oppositions of science. In October 2014, Pope Francis announced that evolution is true. He said, uh, the the theories of evolution and the Big Bang are real, and God is not a magician with a magic wand. That's what the Pope said. Speaking at the Pontifical Academy of Sciences, the Pope made comments that experts said put an end to the pseudo-theories of creationism and intelligent design that some argue were encouraged by his predecessor, Benedict XVI. So just because the Pope declared it, that means God is not the creator. I'm sorry, he's not my authority, folks. Francis explained that both scientific theories were not incompatible with the existence of a creator, and arguing instead that they required it. There again, there is that double talk that they're so good at. This is that classic walking the fence in order to not upset the apple cart theology. And if you are a Catholic or an ex-Catholic, I make no uh, apologies for this, but it's little wonder why the Roman church will be the great whore of revelations. The darkness is real. It is subtle. It is influential. It appeals to the intellect. It gives you the authority to choose how you want to believe. That's what it does. It makes you little G-God. Just like the devil promised Eve. That's what's going on. John 3.19 said, And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. That's why he doesn't, that's why on philosophical grounds he can't accept a creator. And that's why he believes in the apostle, impossible. 
For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, never, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. That's really the issue. It's the issue of authority. It's the issue of authority. So back to our study guide. This will be your next blank. That there is something we must know in order to have fellowship with the Father, John makes very, very clear to his readers. And the very first piece of critical knowledge concerns the truth about God's character. The truth about God's character. No, they may not come out and say this, right? They'll, they'll, they'll veil their words, they'll, what's the word? Wordcraft or whatever their words, their statements. But the goal of the moral Gnostic revisionist is to undermine truth and replace it with another truth. You keep that hidden away in the secret part of your mind. Because that's what's going on. Because if doubt is sown in the minds of God's people concerning His Word, right? Then subsequently there is the potential doubt in God's character. Alright? They'll say things like, um, well, God's Word only exists in the original autographs. Well, we no longer have the original autographs. So what does that mean? In their minds, what they're saying to us, you don't have God's word, folks. That's what it's saying. If we don't have in our possession God's preserved word as he promised he would do, then what does that say about God's character? He's not powerful enough. He's not faithful enough. He's a liar. Psalms 12, 6 through 8 says, The words of the Lord are pure words, a silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Study that. Thou shalt keep, thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. The wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted. If God can't preserve His Word, then how can we be certain that we have His Word? We can't. If God is unable to preserve His Word for us, what does that say about God? Maybe He's not as powerful as they say He is. John rightly warns us about these seducers. For it is when the Nicolaitans take the word of God away from the common man, the vilest men are exalted to rule over the people. And that's what's going on, folks. We see this occurring in our own day within our government, our educational institutions, and sadly and tragically even in our own pulpits. Even in our own pulpits. The confidence of the people have been shaken because those very institutions ordained by God to maintain order and protect the citizenry have been corrupted and misused and abused by wicked men. 
who have proven themselves untrustworthy. I mean, we see that in our society today. I read a poll, I can't remember where it was, I read a poll somewhere and somebody asked, you know, what confidence do you have in our institutions today? And a whopping 78% said they had no confidence. That's astounding. Because just 20 years ago, at least, I think it was 43%. What happened? What happened? So on your study guide, if God's character were suspect, so also would be his word. I mean, isn't that logical? If God's character were suspect, so also would be his truth, his word. Genesis 3.1, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made, and he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall, need of it, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. See how subtle that lie is? It's on your worksheet. It was God's character was, that was first maligned in the garden by the serpent, serpent and it is God's character that continues to be maligned keyword maligned by the many antichrists subject to the spirit of error the revisionist the modern immoral gnostic that has infiltrated not only our society but also infiltrated our church Titus 1 2 says in hope of eternal life which God that cannot lie promised before the world began how can I trust that verse If you're telling me I can't trust God's word. On your study guide, knowing the character of God is crucial for this reveals to us the how we may have fellowship with God. And we're going to get into this. Especially due to the seducers and the spirit of error and their efforts to introduce darkness in order to disrupt or corrupt this fellowship. On your study guide, knowing the character of God will also reveal the expectation in regards to our joy and fellowship with the Father. Expectation. So the how and the expectation. Amos 3.3 says, Can two walk together except they be agreed? Now this is not on your study guide, but you need to write this down. To walk in agreement with the Father... To walk in agreement with the Father is to walk in agreement to His light. His righteousness and His love. To walk in agreement with the Father is to walk in agreement to His light, His righteousness and His love. Light, L-I-G-H-T. That's what I've been talking about. This is key in our fellowship with the Father and the Son. This cannot be stressed enough, for this is vital for anyone who desires to know the joy of fellowship with the Father. Genesis, again, Genesis 3-1, I read... 
Now the, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. So on your study guide, you should have a, a picture of Eve looking at an apple or a pear or whatever that thing is. I don't, know, I don't even know what that thing is. So I want to talk a little bit about this. Uh, on your study guide, this is nothing short of slander against the character of God. It's what it is. Proverbs 10.18 says, He that hideth hatred with lying lips, and he that uttereth a slander is a fool. So on your study guide, Satan's hatred for God was his motivation to slander God. And the false teacher's hatred for the truth motivates them to pervert the truth. I don't care what they tell you folks, they hate the truth. They hate it. The serpent called God a liar, introducing for the first time the idea into the mind of man that God is evil, therefore he cannot be trusted. And we have been played with that ever since. John 3.12 says, If I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? So on your study guide, this has been the tactic of the enemy ever since. To attribute their evil upon a holy God and upon all things good and right. Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light, and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet, and sweet for bitter. That's what's going on today. This is a slanderous character trait of the devil and everybody who falls under his influence. They like to turn everything upside down. If they tell you something, guys, reverse it. And you'll get the truth. You'll get the real truth. Because <laughs> they do. They love to reverse things. They love to flip things upside down. John 8.44 says, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth. This abiding in the truth is key to our understanding concerning our fellowship with God, who is light. And again, we're going to look at this in depth, in detail. But prideful man, both religious and secular, constantly inform us that God is a liar. He can't be trusted. He's not to be believed. You've been fooled. In fact, when, 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 when young men and women go to universities, you know what the first thing your um, professors will attempt to do in these young people's lives? Undermine their faith in God. They target believers. They'll undermine their faith in God. They'll tout their sciences and their philosophies and their knowledge and their scholarship and even their own brand of religion and all the time saying, Yea, as God said. Did I put uh, Tozier's um, quote? Yes. Okay. He says, upon God's faithfulness rests our whole hope of future blessedness. 
Only as he is faithful will his covenants and his promises be honored. Only as we have complete assurance that he is faithful, may we live in peace and look forward with assurance to the life to come. I think that is a true statement. 1 Thessalonians 5.23-24 says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless on the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Psalms 119.138 says, Thy testimonies that thou hast commanded are righteous and very faithful. It is the faithfulness of God that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all that we have this assurance, that we have this confidence. I think on your study guide I've got you some blanks there. 1 John 1.9 If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Forgiveness is ours due to His faithfulness. Forgiveness is ours due to... If God were not faithful to forgive us, then we would be ensnared under a load of personal guilt, wouldn't we? And if we're ensnared under a load of personal guilt, then where would be the joy of fellowshipping with a God who is light? If a God who is light doesn't forgive us, then woe is us. We are all together Amen. First John 5.11 says, And this is the record that God had given to us, eternal life. And this life is in His Son. So, eternal life is your blank, is ours because He is faithful. If the record is not true, or if we don't have the record as the scholars tell us that we don't, then what assurance do we have that when we shut our eyes and take our last breath, we have that eternal life that he says is ours in Christ Jesus. 1 John 5.14, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if, and if we know that he heareth us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. So answers is the blank. Answers to our petitions in accordance to his will is ours because he is faithful. If God is not faithful, then why pray? And if God is not going to answer our prayers that are according to his will, well, let's go back. How do we know it's his will? we don't have a word that we can trust what a sham that is to exhort us to pray about something that we're not even sure is his will because the scholars tell us they're not even sure if we've got his word do not permit the modern immoral Gnostic slander of God's character permeate your hearts and minds folks you have to want you have to be sober watch and pray because it is so subtle so subtle. If they can get you to question the character of God, then they can trap you like a fowler in the net. Proverbs 6 5 says, Deliver thyself as a roe from the hand of the hunter and as a bird from the hand of the fowler. You know, the net of a fowler is cleverly designed to tangle up the bird's wings and legs. You can't get yourself out of it. That's the same way that these clever lies of these false teachers 
They're very clever. They get you all tangled up and twisted around in your mind. If you forsake God's Word, then you're going to get caught. You're going to get trapped. And many have fallen prey to these hunters of the souls of men. Now, let me tell you something. This is me. I personally do not waste much time with those who are blatantly opposed to the truth. Okay? Those who unashamedly preach and teach falsehoods, even perverting the Word of God. There's a lot of preachers on television and on radio. I don't waste my time. I just don't. Romans 6.17 tells me, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. I don't waste my time with folks like that. Yes, Ron? Um, I'm sure you wrote it down correctly, but you said Romans 6.17? 16.17. Thank you. 16.17. Thank you for catching that. Yeah, I don't, I don't, um, I don't waste my time with these folks. I don't try to argue with them. I don't try to convince them. If they're, if they're locked in their air, you know, that's, that's their problem, not mine. That's just my personal decision. If they choose to twist God's truth and all they want to do is argue about it and go around and around in circles, I let them go around and around in circles. I've got better things to do. That's just me personally. First uh, Titus 3.10 A man that is a heretic after the first and second admonition rejects. That's pretty clear. Knowing that he that is such is subverted, subverted and sinneth, being condemned of himself. But tragically, many gullible and undiscerning Christians will welcome these types into their homes through the television sets, books, radio, magazines, um, I should say YouTube, social media. you got to be alert. You have to be aware of these heresies. Don't be undiscerning. Don't be like the Laodicean church. Well, they say they're Christian and they use the Bible and they quote from the Bible and they teach the Bible. So what? That's what the false teachers and the Antichrist always do. Remember when Satan tempted Jesus in the, in the, in the wilderness? Did he not use scripture? I think he did. Second John verse 9 says, Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, he says, Receive him not into your house, neither bid him God's speed. For he that biddeth him God's speed is partaker of his evil deeds. Yeah, be a hard-nosed, guys. They might call you intolerant. They might call you closed-minded. No, I'm holding to the truth. I've got, I've got too much to study in regards to the truth to spend my time in your muck and mire. Now, that's just me personally, folks. 
Psalms 119.104 says, Through thy precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Why would I spend my time with fake light when I have true light that I can study? Isaiah 20 says to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. So I'll say this, okay, I'll say this. We should learn of them, alright, we should learn of them, we should learn what, where they're wrong, we need to know where they're wrong, why they're wrong, but we should not learn from them. You understand what I'm saying? We can learn about them, but don't learn from them, because they will lead you astray. That's why it's so imperative to spend all your time in the Word of God. So that when you start feeling that counterfeit bill in your hands, you can tell it's fake. So, child of light... Refuse to listen to the serpent's beguiling words and hold to the hold to the form of sound words. Stay in the light of God's word. Stay in the light of God's word. That's where the true joy of fellowship with God is going to be found. Okay? Uh, don't listen to the serpent's whispering. Stay in the light of God's word. And I'll stop right there. So anybody get all their blanks? Everything get filled in? Okay. So we're going to look at this. God is light in much detail. At least as much detail as I'm able to to, uh, discern. And because this is very important in our fellowship with God. If, if, If we get this first point, if we get off on this first point, um, we're going to have issues. We're going to have issues. So it's very, very important that we understand about our God who is light. Okay? All right, so let's go ahead and uh, we'll close off right now.